This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Move on now to a conversation with Chief Economist at Standard Bank, Gulam Balema. He joins us to take us through the bank's 2024 economic outlook. A very interesting presentation that I went through earlier. Uh, and Gulam joins us now to really take us through the thinking and even the analysis for the year ahead. Gulam, good evening. Thank you for your time. Hi, it's really great to be with me. Yes, I can hear you. Uh, I think we're good to go. Gulam, let's talk about your presentation today. I thought it was very fascinating and even witty, to be very honest. Let's talk about this year. You've characterized it as a year of a Goldilocks. So when we say Goldilocks, we're making reference to the international economy. In other words, where the temperature is not too hot, not too cold, just right. So the porridge will be one where the global economy, for example, grows by 3%, which is more or less the same as last year. However, the Goldilocks theme more meaningfully comes into the suggestion that the U.S. economy is going to slow this year from last year. But we're suggesting it is going to experience a soft landing. In other words, yes, it's going to slow, but it isn't going to be a harsh landing that generates reverberations around the world. So, you know, internationally, as you suggested, we're hanging on to this notion of a Goldilocks slowdown. Not too hot, not too cold, just right, and not destabilizing. Of course, there are risks to that prognosis, either geopolitical or a very substantial rise in oil prices, energy prices because of tensions in the Middle East. So it's not without risks. I'm also keen to get your thoughts of how we contextualize that issue of, uh, you know, the soft landing uh, in the United States, maybe not the case for other economies around the world, South Africa certainly uh, being one of them. We are seeing a world, I think the the acronym being used is VUCA, it's volatile, uncertain, it's complex, it's ambiguous, and uh, all of that uh, does change the risk profile. So we also simultaneously, the world is going to experience a Goldilocks outcome. That's our central prognosis. Mm. But it is an immaculate Goldilocks scenario. In other words, it is one that is too good to be true. It is one that is prone to, as I've just suggested, a variety of potential shocks, either geopolitical, energy, economic. We already have two wars. There could be a third brewing. And we would never have thought two years ago that we'd see war on continental Europe, for example. And of course, now there's tensions and in between the West and the East. We seem to be gliding into a world where geopolitically there is a perpetual contention or tension between various countries. And it isn't the type of moderate multilateralism that we're familiar with over the last 30 years. So to put it differently, there's a general sense of geopolitical and economic unease that does envelope our prognosis of a soft landing. And we're mindful that these are things that, as one would say, can go wrong. Also, Keen, I'd love to hear your thoughts on China growing at 5% and maybe help us put that into context if you're in some parts of the nation, uh, some part of the world rather, 5% is great, but in other parts of the world, 5% isn't good. So China for the last 30 years is, for the most part, that economy that has been growing at double digits, that economy that in 30 years lifted about 900 million people out of poverty, And now it is structurally growing mid-single digits. And for many people, this represents perhaps weakness, 
premised on China's history. The second observation that 5% suggests is, whereas much of the rest of the world has emerged from COVID and largely shed the yoke of COVID in varying degrees, China still, still seems to be beholden to COVID shadow. In other words, the Chinese economy is not in its prime by way of example. And just one illustration, Chinese travelers internationally are only at 60% the level pre-COVID. In other words, the current level of international travel out of China is 40% lower than in 2019. It's just indicative of the way there is a hesitation uh, on the part of the Chinese to fully switch on. So that what we call a COVID-related drag continues to suppress the Chinese economy. The bounce back was, has not been as anticipated. So yes, 5% is to be cheered for an economy of its size, for an economy that is second only to the United States in terms of scale. Um, but the Chinese economy, let's say, is performing beneath potential. And I think that is what um, the markets and analysts are gripped by and hoping that the Chinese economy steps up to, say, a, a, a 6 or 7% rate of growth, which would more or, lo- or less match China's potential. I'm also keen to bring it back home now and take a look at, uh, you know, elections here at home and maybe even what that might mean uh, for state-owned enterprises um, and even a certainty in this environment. It's a lovely question because sometimes we get so consumed about forecasting the potential election results without considering the uh, the consequences. So I I would say that the the way to look at this is perhaps through three scenarios and then to consider the ramifications. So let's just say the idea of the ANC getting, let's pick a number, 48%. Mm-hmm. And the ANC then can still have a chance of co-governing with an assembly of small parties, or even just let's say at 48%, it co-governs with the IFP by, by virtue of example. Broadly speaking, that will probably mean that President Ramaphosa remains for a second term as state president. And it would broadly mean that the policy choices that we've become familiar with, say, over the last 12 months, continues. In other words, Operation Vulent Leila remains core to the reform agenda, the work streams between the private sector and business in energy and in transportation with emphasis on transnet remains in motion. So in other words, 48% dictates that it's the status quo more or less for at least another couple of years. It's the same type of prognosis of the ANC would have gone to say 51%. In other words, it governs with the majority and the reform agenda that we're familiar with remains in train. If, and where the ANC, for example, falls to, let's call it 40%, mm-hmm. then the ANC faces the, the potential that it now needs to find a single large party to be able to co-govern alongside. And that large party could either, for example, be the EFF, or even the DA, and I know the DA would sound anathema Mm -hmm. to being a bedfellow for the ANC. Many would disagree with that, but that's not necessarily my base case or Standard Bank's base case, Mm -hmm. but we're also mindful that in the current state of play, where we do have, for example, ANC and EFF co-governing of metros, it has been an abject failure. And so the ANC itself has said they are reviewing the current co-governing relationships and david makura will present ideas in a paper 
on how the ANC will seek to co-govern, if, if that comes out of necessity, in a way that is good for citizens. We won't hear too much about that in terms of actionable plans until after the elections and until after the results emerge. But the point being, so if we fall to 40%, the ANC needs to find a partner. We haven't seen a maturity in terms of co-governing relationships so far. And in other words, investors are going to assume the worst. I think citizens are going to say the type of metro destruction that we've seen will now elevate to the national policy level. It will sap confidence from the economy. And then the lastly, and I don't want to sound alarmist, but mm-hmm. you can conceive that if the NC falls to 40%, the president's adversaries within the African National Congress will probably round against him. And, you know, you could plausibly see, for example, Palapala being resurfaced by ANC members themselves in an attempt to unseat President Ramaphosa under the guise that he delivered a devastating poll outcome. So this is not our central base case. I must uh, readily submit. We are of the opinion that if the ANC does lose its majority, it will be slightly below 50 percent at this juncture. That would be our base case with a 65% probability. But I think business is about planning for multiple scenarios, conceiving of possible ramifications, and doing its best to be prepared. And that is very uh, insightful perspectives. Uh, Kulam, I'm also keen to hear uh, your thoughts on the RAND. Shoo. <laughs> uh, as a South African, we're waiting for some form of recovery. Uh, can we expect it in, in, in 2024? And maybe that even uh, you know, interlinks nicely with the interest rates. I think uh, it could all be uh, the same uh, theme. Mm. So you have two halves, most likely. The first half will be angstful, waiting for the elections, uncertain with regard to the next five years of the um, government puzzle. And as a consequence, the RAND is likely to be on the back foot. The the RAND is likely to reflect an elevated risk premium in terms of political as the potential for weak public finances. So, no, there's no real chance of lovely Louboutins or Prada handbags (laughs) just yet. Definitely not pre-elections. So the RAND is going to be, as I say, poised for weakness and not necessarily the worst, but not ready to embrace a benign inflation outcome. In the aftermath of the elections, obviously, the RAND will take its cue from the scenarios that I spoke about a moment ago. And if it is a benign scenario, let's say where President Ramaphosa continues as state president and the reform agenda is as we know it, and I say benign, not necessarily as an endorsement. President Ramaphosa, I merely mention it through the lens of the way I think investors were judging. Mm. Then you could see some. Mm. I'm think I'm going to interrupt you there because we're battling to hear you. Not sure what's happened with the sound. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, something seems to have happened there uh, with Gulam Sound, and I'm so uh, actually quite uh, devastated by that. I wanted to ask him about his expectations for Sona there, and important for him also to paint, uh, you know, uh, the the scenario of how the interest rates all interlink to the political. But a very valuable conversation there with Chief Economist of Standard Bank Gulam Balim, and I hope you've been listening to a Power ninety eight point seven podcast. For more podcasts, visit power nine eight seven dot co dot za. Or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.